Hello and welcome to Carbon Removal Newsroom. I am Ross Kenyon, lead strategist with the Nori Carbon Removal Marketplace. We are radically reformatting the show. This is the first one in the Carbon Removal Newsroom reboot. So rather than me finding stories ad hoc and chasing down guests, I am now envisioning this as a sort of panelist show where a collection of voices from within the carbon removal industry come together to discuss the latest news uh, from within the sector. So this should be fun. It's our first try. This is an experiment. You're hearing it. Uh, we have not rehearsed this. This is just us giving it a go. So I'm very excited to introduce our panelists. Today, I have with me Noah Deitch, founder and executive director of Carbon 180. Hey, Noah. Hey, Ross. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for taking the risk on this uh, little experiment. Let's see how it goes. And uh, Tito Jankowski, co-founder of Negative, which is a startup making jewelry using captured CO2 and host of the Air Miners online community. Hey, Tito. What's up? <laughs> What's up? Yeah. And Alden Donnelly, who is one of my co-founders at Nori and the director of carbon economics there. Hey, Alden. Hey, happy to be here. Yeah, I'm happy that all of you were able to make this work. This should be fun. Well, we have one really big story, which has dominated carbon removal which is Stripe has announced its first negative emissions purchases. So Noah, would you mind introducing the topic and what's been happening there? Yeah, of course. So the backstory here is Stripe is a tech company. They have a, a climate program and have been offsetting their emissions associated with operations for a couple years now, as far as I understand. But last year they announced that they were going to do something new which is not just offset all of their emissions, but start to think about how they could clean up some of their past emissions using negative emission services, essentially. And the exciting thing about the story last week was that it went from a concept that Stripe published on their blog that they were going to do this to the reveal of the first projects that Stripe has purchased in this effort to buy negative emission services. And they've done a handful of really cool things. One is at a high level, they've been really transparent. They said exactly what projects they bought. They said how much they were acquiring and what the price point was for some of the projects. And they also explained their reasoning behind why they made some of these selections. And I think this is a really important precedent for a number of reasons because we started to see companies not just set net zero goals and talk about carbon removal as a component of it, basically the net part of that zero emission target. But we've also heard from companies that are much bigger than Stripe, like Microsoft, make announcements that they're going to not just go net zero, but clean up their entire cumulative carbon footprint from all of their historical emissions by mid-century. And they're gonna use the net negative uh, emission technologies to get them there, at least on the historical piece. And so this is a really interesting first mover in the field to try and reconceptualize how we can think about offsets that are carbon negative and really break the offset paradigm in many cases, because what they're doing is not a conventional offset in, in any way, it is very much a, a novel approach to acquiring negative emission services as part of a broader climate portfolio.
<laughs> you guys are feeling shy, huh? Nailed it. <laughs> nice one, Noah. <laughs> All right, what's the next topic? Yeah, yeah Noah so exhaustively covered it. Yeah. Um, the, one thing that struck me in this was the focus on permanence and the types of solutions that were offered. Did that surprise any of you? Yeah, I think they did a great job of, of kind of walking a line between things that are uh, kind of super out there and, and really beginning and, and projects that are kind of up and running and, and need a boost. Um, and I think like, like Noah said, in terms of setting a precedent, it's really uh, sets a great precedent in particular. I, I like how they, uh, they've open sourced uh, so much of what they've, they've done, including all the applications for not just the, uh, the four companies that were selected, but actually all the companies that were a part of that uh, finalist process. So to me, it sets a it sets a precedent that whether you're uh, an up and coming uh, company that doesn't have much of a track record, or you do, either way, you know you need to be able to to share uh, and and broadcast what you're doing in an, in an open source way. I think that's gonna that's gonna help whether whether these future funds say next year go to uh, early stage companies or or later stage companies. All that information is gonna be uh, is gonna be more open source and more distributed, which just helps uh, helps everybody. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty notable difference between some of the other offset schemes and major efforts in years past where most offsets today that focus on some element of carbon sequestration are nature-based. Reforestation or forest conservation. I, I mean, obviously Nori's working on agricultural-based carbon removal credits I think the fact that Stripe went the opposite direction is really interesting, not just because they've clearly favored the clear permanence and easy to measure and verify compared to some of the natural options, but they're willing to pay the price premium to do that. And if you look at the prices that they're paying, it's between 100 and basically $800 a ton CO2 to remove carbon from the atmosphere. And that is way higher than what current voluntary markets are paying, which last time I checked, we're in the roughly $5 a ton range for many offsets. Some companies are willing to pay 10 to 15, somewhere in there. And then even some of the big cap and trade programs like the state of California's in the electricity sector that have offset mechanisms in there on a compliance basis those are only trading at the 20s of dollars per ton level. So it's a, it's a really interesting shift that they've optimized for high price, high permanence and ability to measure and verify and really gone against the trend of where the industry has been historically. Yeah, we had mixed feelings on it. Obviously, we would have preferred in some ways uh, <laughs> yeah, if Nori course. were selected, of course. Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> not news to anyone. Um, but also, I like these choices because they are, they don't get as much attention as they should. And I want people to think of carbon removal as, as broader than just soil. And leadership like this, I think, really does a good job of this by choosing Climeworks and Project Vesta, Carbon Cure, and Charm Industrial. I think that focus on permanence and industrial or hybrid approaches rather than the natural solutions, uh, especially at such high prices too. I think it's good for the entire sector that such a thing is happening. 
Alden, I don't know if you have a, a take on that as well as the, the prices that Noah's laying out. Does that map with your experience? Uh, it, it's complicated because um, when, Noah, for example, when you said people are paying maybe in some regulated markets $20, $20 a ton, I would argue, in fact, in most of those markets, they're paying, that's $20 a, a, a certificate, $20 an allowance or an offset credit. But in most of those markets, the underlying environmental value of a certificate maybe ranges between 25% and 50% of a ton. So one of my concerns about the traditional offset markets is there, there's not only not true price discovery, there's price obfuscation because the market still hasn't figured out that those certificates with a face value of one ton have underlying values that are typically much, much less than one ton. So in California, I would argue if you do the arithmetic, if people are paying $20 a certificate, they're paying closer to $60 a ton right now. They just don't understand that yet. Well, some of these prices listed are still an order of magnitude greater than that. Like that, those prices are still much closer to the lower end natural solutions than they are to the upper bounds of uh, some of the direct air capture or other solutions. I think it's important to, maybe I would draw the lines differently. And I first want to say that I congratulate both Stripe and Climeworks because I totally agree that this is in every way a, a, a step in the right direction. But in terms of sort of um, getting it right and getting it wrong, I for one, and, and maybe this is reflecting uh, Nori bias, so I should acknowledge that. Um, I'm, I'm not so big on that distinction between um, natural and man-made or, 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 or organic and mineralized carbon solutions. I think the first thing is we're a big, Nori, we're big fans of direct air capture and we are a dedicated carbon removal marketplace and had always planned to develop a methodology and invite direct air capture projects to list their credits in our marketplace and look forward to the future in which we do that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Stronger feelings do over I... there. Yeah. <laughs> do I need to start over so you can cut that out? Sure. <laughs> That's fine. Maybe we'll keep it. We'll see how it sounds. Okay. When it comes to direct air capture and drawdown, I think really what, what matters is not so much um, it's connected, but not whether the recovered carbon is stored in um, an organic or mineral um, uh, mineralized uh, outcome. It's 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 yes. What are we storing? So I could be looking. We could be looking at equally wonderful direct air capture technology. I would argue probably when the CO2 that's drawn down is being injected into some reservoir and the, the, the plan is to store it in gaseous or some combination of gaseous and liquid form, I would argue that no matter how sincere the proponents are, it's unlikely that that carbon is going to comply with any permanence expectation. So the key is- Wait, Alden, why, why do you say that? There's a huge body of evidence that when it is injected, it does stay down there pretty reliably. I mean, DOE has been working on this for the better part of 20 years at this point. 
well, and I, has really robust data at the sort of tens of millions of tons level. Yeah, it's interesting. In the in the late 1990s, early 2000s, I financed the first um, uh, CO2 capture from a, a, a large gas processing plant in the Texas Panhandle. To and the CO2 we 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 captured and processed was injected in a in a enhanced oil recovery project. And I also have significant direct experience in the largest and longest operating uh, uh, coal-fired power plant, CO2 capture and sequestration project in the world. And in, in both cases, uh, if you're injecting um, uh, CO2 as a gas into a reservoir where that CO2 is connecting with moisture, you're typically, um, among other things, creating pockets of methane that have to be continuously and are expensive to manage to keep that commitment that uh, the CO2 is remaining in storage. And I'm just arguing over the long term, if that CO2, if the recovered C is converted into a solid, whether that solid is organic or mineral, you've got a way higher probability that it will be retained and it will be retained in a cost-effective uh, situation for the yeah I don't want to oh, go ahead sorry no go ahead, ahead. I, I was just gonna say I, I don't think that this is a question about whether you can store carbon for long amounts of time in natural systems organic systems but I do think that the data does show that if you're sequestering carbon in geologic reservoirs especially in saline formations um, that you do get century to millennium scale carbon sequestration with pretty predictable rates that you can expect and model how the supercritical fluid interacts and starts to mineralize with the surrounding rock. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm much less skeptical uh, of that, that claim that one is that the geologic storage is less permanent. That's a very unusual claim. I think most people would acknowledge that the geologic storage piece is actually a lot more long lived. It's just a lot more expensive in many cases compared to farmers changing their management practices or people conserving forests or planting trees. Doing all these nature-based uh, practices end up having usually lower capital costs and are, are easier to get started. And so I, I think that's the real dichotomy that we see with most projects is that Stripe is the only one that's willing to go to the more expensive varieties that I, I think are easier to measure and verify with those well-accepted standards because everyone else is optimizing for the other thing, which is the cost piece. And what I think is super interesting is the volumes that Stripe is procuring, which is on the thousands to tens of thousands of tons per project. And that's a really early, a really small initial amount. And I think the really interesting question for Stripe over the coming years will be, is that a sufficient volume that th once they do the first set of projects, is that gonna start driving the technology advancement and learning curves that are required to go from $700 a ton uh, Climeworks offsets 
can that level of deployment cut that cost down considerably, potentially by an order of magnitude, which is where ultimately I think they'll need to be to be able to compete with some of the other nature-based um, and just broader decarbonization options. Because at some point, it's just going to be easier to not emit than to pay $800 a ton to, to clean it up. That's where I'd love to see what um, what kind of this cohort does over the next. Um, I forget what the terms are for the for the Stripe deal, but um, you know what what are the what's the progress uh, from the from the side of these companies in terms of actually carrying this out? I, I think that, like I said, Stripe has done a really good job in terms of open sourcing the applications. But kind of where does it go from here? Does it do do these do these companies continue to uh, get engagement in terms of telling that story or sharing that story? Um, more broadly, because like Noah says, that's, it's, that's kind of the, the big story here, right? It's, it's not about the, the number of tons that they're, that they're removing in this project. Overall, it's a million dollars of, of, um, of a purchase, but it's really about what precedent it sets and uh, yeah, what, what, the larger, what the larger implication is for the, uh, for the industry. I, I think that's a really, those are really good questions. And, and I, re, and I respect your, your uh, feedback, Noah, uh, but when we're, when we're getting the answers and starting to ask, um, see what these projects teach us. And again, I say this only holding the, the both uh, Stripe and Climeworks in highest regard. Um, also just following on one of the things I said, based on my experiences, it's going to be really, really important to be tracking and getting a sense of um, how much of this of, of maintaining the permanence commitment is capital cost and how much is continuing operating costs because as I suggested earlier um, um, I've been involved in two very successful projects that are meeting all of the tests everybody's talked about but what's overwhelming and why the proponents of those projects haven't replicated them is because of the surprising um, significant continuing operating costs that are associated with maintaining the permanence. And so if these are projects that are cap are, are, are very fixed cost heavy and don't have continuing capital cost or operating costs associated with them, that's gonna be a really, really good story. But it's gonna be important for us to, 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 see, to see those numbers. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, good point. I think my sense from these projects is they're actually not gonna be that capital intensive to do that monitoring especially because none of them are sort of the conventional supercritical inject CO2 into a saline well yeah. and, and do that. So Climeworks is really interesting because they're working with carb fix on a basalt formation that mineralizes the CO2 on the order of years to decades, whereas that CO2 in a saline formation takes hundreds to thousands of years to really start to have a significant mineralization yeah. that's I, then, I agree that's really exciting that's really exciting that that move on climb work and same with project vesta that's yeah that's a rapid mineralization and carbon cure yeah um, the really interesting one to me is the charm industrial folks which is doing something that seems incredibly counterintuitive which is to make oil and then bury it and they're not even capturing the co2 associated with combusting the oil they're just not combusting the oil at all and injecting the oil back underground, essentially 
reversing the process of oil extraction in as literal a way as possible. And that's something that I think is, uh, the entire community has never thought about that as a logical place to go. But I think at the time that they made this announcement, we were seeing negative oil prices in Texas. And obviously those have recovered, uh, but still are in the $30 uh, barrel range uh, as of, I think, this recording. So it's it's one of those just very bizarre uh, processes, but one that emerges when you start to say, okay, how do we really optimize negative emissions, not how do we optimize energy production and then taking a waste from that energy production and turning it into carbon removal, essentially. And I think that's a, a really good example of what's happening in the whole biomass industry today, which 10, 20 years ago, people thought, let's make energy with biomass. And now I think people are increasingly pivoting to how do we make carbon removal with biomass and in some cases skipping the, the energy piece entirely which is is really novel in my mind i have a question about stripe's approach um, which may portray my ignorance but i guess we'll have to see but normally when i see corporate social responsibility commitments they will list out their emissions and really lead with that in many cases but i find that that isn't the way that stripe has chosen to present this information they they seem to have a budget, the $1 million that they intend to spend in the year. And then they wanted to spend it in the, the most efficacious way to spend that money to help assist the carbon removal industry to grow rather than focusing on just negating their emissions or, or going beyond that. Is, that. is that actually what happened? Is that something that is new? I mean, I've certainly never seen a company do that before. And I think it all comes from the fact that when people started doing their carbon offsetting a couple of decades ago, it was an accounting function where people thought they were going to get regulated. And so in their risk management on the financial side, they started offsetting their emissions and tried to do so in a really low cost way. And that was one of the main drivers for why we saw this huge push towards offsets mm. and i think stripe is right in saying they don't see regulation on the horizon they also feel comfortable that they're already offsetting all of their emissions and what they see i imagine is this big gap between paying these low-cost offsets to get to zero emissions today but paying hundreds of dollars a ton to get negative emissions, how do they actually go the opposite direction in the future at a reasonable price point? It's all about buying down the costs of those offsets and doing so is not a investment play. It is a demand play. And so what they're doing is they're saying, we're gonna flip the paradigm on its head and not buy as many, basically buy as many credits as we can with a fixed revenue stream instead of fix our volume and then pay whatever price it costs at the going market rate. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Is that pretty unusual for what you've seen in your career, Alden? 
Um, yes, but again, Nori's approach is, is uh, started down the same path of reasoning, but, but we developed a different strategy. So one uh, Nori carbon removal ton in NRT represents an incremental ton drawn out of the atmosphere and retained for a minimum of 10 years. So our approach to permanence has always been that if you want the equivalent of permanence, um, you buy 10 nori removal tons, NRTs, not just one. Um, and we had a lot of different reasons for doing that, but I, 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 um, I'm, I think that in terms of their strategy and nori's, Climeworks and nori, we're starting from the same position that we need to we need to be more serious about permanence. I think we've taken different strategies to get to the equivalent of permanence. Um, and, and strangely enough, if you look at what Nori's NRTs are trading for today, if 10 Nori NRTs are equivalent to 100 years of permanence, the actual um, uh, price that is being earned in both markets is comparable right now. Well, and then there's a third strategy altogether, one that I think Tito's company is is doing as well as Climeworks on some of their other business offerings, which is to not participate in the offset framework at all and think about how do you provide a product or service directly that is itself a pathway to carbon removal. So the announcement that we talked about as a, a group here is the um, the Climeworks one with Lufthansa on how they're trying to make carbon neutral jet fuel with direct air capture. Thinking about how that can displace the fossil-based jet fuel in the future, but also be used as a way to drive down the costs of their technology so that they can then use that same technology, not just to make an inherently carbon neutral fuel, but also a carbon negative storage approach at some point in the future. And I think that's another really interesting angle that a lot of companies are, are thinking about is the utilization directly in their supply chain, as opposed to doing something that is uh, an offset outside of their supply chain context. I mean, I guess it's tougher for Stripe because they're a tech company. They are not providing hardware or physical services that they could very readily make or use out of carbon removing products but you know maybe they could and i i think tito you could talk a little bit about the the work that you're doing i guess people would not expect that you could make jewelry or even any of the other products that are on your roadmap with um with co2 but the the list is is very long and i think opens a lot of doors for companies interested in getting into this space. Yeah, I really liked how you touched on, on supply chain, this idea of companies making these more uh, adjacent moves into tapping into carbon products or carbon removal that are more a fit for their, for their industry. And just as you were saying, my thought was, well, maybe Stripe's industry is like tech. Uh, if, you, if you look at these companies, two of them are, are based in Silicon Valley, Project Vesta and, uh, uh, and Charm. Um, so in, in that way, potentially there's a connection there. Um, it's like it, it's a better a better fit for Stripe in a way. Um, though I doubt that was one of their their selection criteria. Um, 
but yeah, making, making products out of carbon from the air is something that uh, when we launched the negative campaign, I was really surprised to hear from people at actual direct air capture companies who sort of say like, oh my gosh, like I didn't know you could actually make like a thing with this gas. Um, and it's like you would think of, of all the people on the planet, like of course they would know about it. But it turns out like it's really, a, I mean, this is so such a new, uh, such a new topic. So this idea of uh, Lufthansa and, and Climeworks getting together and uh, working on making, uh, making fuels uh, is, is really, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's very much an adjacent possible for, uh, for Lufthansa because it's part, of their, it's part of their supply chain. It's a problem they need to solve. Whereas I think maybe in, in previous carbon, uh, carbon offset deals, it's more just about, uh, like you said, Noah, an accounting function rather than something that actually is a, is a, is a part of your uh, supply chain. I also agree that um, using drawn down CO2 to make um, uh, f alternative fuels is a, is a really good idea, but that's not carbon negative, that's carbon neutral, which is, which is a good thing. Um, I, I can't wait till we're seeing CO2 being drawn out of the atmosphere, um, made uh, mi mineralized and be, becoming the input in you know, 3D printers and being stored in in solid, useful parts and implement and and implements that that um, constitute significant long-term storage on their own, and which can be broken down and recycled and rebuilt into other parts uh, sooner rather than later. So that's a that's a, a a future version, really, of what you're doing, Tito. But I, I think when we get to that point where that drawn down carbon is being made into car parts, then, then we're going to be happy puppies. <laughs> wow. Slow down there, Neil Stevenson. Uh, yeah. I like that vision of the future though, this like modular open source 3d printed carbon captured world. That's, that's an air miner kind of vision. I think Tito. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, that's um, if you listen to Elon Musk's uh, announcement of uh, their big shiny stainless steel spaceship, one of the people uh, in the audience asked, you know, what is this area going to be? And I think it was a 10 year time frame. Uh, and he just totally started referring to how to pull, pull fuels from directly from the air. That was his first thing was like, yeah. you know, it's going to be the biggest difference that's here. So my thought is with, with, with these investments by, by Stripe, this deal happening with Lufthansa, um, these things are, are definitely near at hand. They can, they can, then they potentially look at the moment. I think this is a good place to call it. And let's see how people like uh, this new panel-y kind of show. I think it went pretty well. I'm grateful grateful awesome. that uh, y'all were willing to give this a go. Um, I guess let's go through the line real quick. And you can give your various plugs. If people like what you had to say and they want to keep up with you, Noah, what is the best way for them to do so? Check out carbon180.org and can subscribe to our newsletter there. Yeah, and you're also on Twitter quite often, yeah? Oh, yeah. Um, you can find me at the Carbon Sync or our team at Carbon underscore 180. Cool, thank you. How about you, Tito? Yeah, I love this conversation. If you want to continue it, we're hosting uh, an Air Miners uh, roundtable with the uh, three of the founders of these uh, Stripe carbon purchase companies. It's going to be on June 3rd, so next Wednesday at noon Pacific Standard Time. And if you want to uh, check that out, you can go to conference.airminers.org and you can sign up. Uh, you can sign up there. But we're going to have 
uh, Rob from Carbon Cure, uh, Daniel from uh, Climeworks, and Tom from Project Festa. Uh, and maybe the others will, will sign on too. But uh, yeah, if you want to find us online, uh, negative is at gonegative.co. Uh, you can check out what we're doing there. Um, but if you want to find me, I do a, a weekly newsletter on stuff going on in carbon. You can find that at uh, tito.co. That's probably the best place to find it. But um, yeah, I hope to see you at that uh, Air, Air Miners event next week. I would personally highly recommend getting involved in the Air Miners community too. I think if you're interested in this topic, you've listened to this show, you clearly are. That's where your people are. They're hanging out at Air Miners. So you should come, <laughs> come find us over there and let's, let's make some stuff happen. And Alden, um, where can people find you on, on Twitter? I imagine you also want to plug Nori. Yeah, yeah, just www.nori.com. Look, look into what we're doing. And by the way, you air miners, we are a dedicated carbon removal marketplace, not solely focused on uh, croplands and 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 grasslands. So uh, watch us because we want to be developing a methodology to invite you into our marketplace sooner rather than later. Yeah, we're, ec we're ecumenical. We, we like it all. Carbon <laughs> removal is just an exciting place to exist. Um, cool. I'm, a, I'm kind of a social media recluse, but yeah, if you email podcast.nori.com, it will eventually find its way to me. And thank you for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Tell your friends. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, podcast.nori.com. If you have thoughts on this new format, I uh, hope you enjoyed, and thank you so much for listening.